We're glad that you're with us as well, and we just encourage you to worship with us. And uh, it's great that, that God has come out of that grave, and he's encouraged us to come out of our spiritual graves. And so that's what this song is all about. Will you stand and let's sing together? You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. That's right. Yeah, you called my name. Let me hear you. And I Out of the darkness into your glorious day. I was buried beneath my shame. You know what I mean? Who could dare? kind of way it was my turn yeah. till I met you I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried I was 
was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we'd love the opportunity to get to know you. And one of the ways that we can do that is through that guest card that's located right in front of you. If you could take one of those out and fill it out for us. And then after the worship gathering, if you go left to the Welcome Center, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, is there. He's got a gift for you. You can just set that card down on the desk if you want and just wave or stop, say hi, and, uh, and meet him. He's got a small gift for you being a part of our worship this morning. So you're probably wondering why I'm wearing a Jesus Tent t-shirt, or you already know that Bonnaroo is this week. And so we've got a big week ahead of us. We just got done with VBS, and now the week gets even bigger where we have kids camp, a team going to Guatemala, and the Jesus Tent all in one week. So we're kind of cramming summer all at once right now. So we've got a lot to pray for and a lot to pray about. And so we just want to take a moment to pray over these three endeavors and also pray over our worship together. So would you just take a moment, we pray and commission and send those out uh, who will be serving this week and on mission. So let's pray together. Father, as we are grateful for these opportunities that we have to serve you in your name, Father, we first just want to lift up our kids who are going to kids camp, God. I pray for all the chaperones and, and Megan as she leads. And God, I just pray that you bless this trip. I pray for the kids to grow closer to you and for many who will pray to receive you as Lord. And uh, so, Father, we pray for that. God, in the same vein, we pray for our students and college students who are going to Guatemala this week. Pray for Tim as he leads that trip. And God, I just pray that you use them in the schools and all the different things that they're going to be doing to make you known, Father, and to show that you are better. So, Father, we pray for their trip. And God, we pray for those who are here as Bonnaroo enters. God, Acts 1-8 is getting inverted onto our town where the nations are coming to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a witness at the Jesus tent and at Walmart and all the places where we may encounter uh, those who are here for Bonnaroo. So, Father, we thank you for these opportunities this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God for saving me. Isn't that something? Just a simple thank you that we have salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Will you stand? Let's sing this song together. 
You can be seated.
Lord, we come before you this morning just praising you. In the good times and in the bad times, we praise you. We choose to love you, to worship you when things are going well and when things are not going well. You are worthy of our praise. Today, I pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts to hear from you, that we may be different people because we have heard your word today. It's to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to worship with you. We had a great week of Vacation Bible School this week. I want to thank so much. Uh, 120 uh, adults and students helped in our Vacation Bible School. Some took vacation off. Man, you've invested in the lives of kids for all eternity, and we thank you. Had over 330. 30 children here for a total of about 450 here each day. Had 17 children who confessed their faith in Jesus Christ, and we are excited for that, praying for them. We have baptism next Sunday. We'll have our lake baptism on July 20th. We praise God. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. This Wednesday begins our uh, summer outdoor worship services. So I want to invite you to come. 6.30 p.m., beginning Wednesday, rear parking lot, bring a lawn chair, rain or shine, if it rains, we'll be in the gym, and I'm sharing a series of sermons on these seven weeks through the book of Acts, the unstoppable church of Jesus Christ, invite you to join us, we'll have a fellowship each Wednesday night afterwards with some refreshments or something, uh, ice cream this week, um, I'll involve a group of students each week, I need seniors, gr those who have just graduated, uh, graduating seniors, I'm going to involve you in something this Wednesday. Hope you'll come uh, this Wednesday night. Uh, I want to encourage those of you who are members of our church to give some time this week considering our deacon election and new deacon nomination next Sunday. So next Sunday in your worship uh, folder will be a ballot. And at the close of each worship service, we'll turn in our ballots. And uh, so this is important in the life of our church, and if you just do that when you show up next Sunday, you won't be led by the Holy Spirit. You'll just, you'll just respond. So I'm asking you, church members, to invest 15 to 30 minutes in this process in prayer and in thought this week. You'll need to get our newsletter. That's where this information is. So you should receive it. If you don't, you can pick up a paper copy at the Welcome Center today. It's on our website. And um, in that newsletter has all of the info that you'll need. And you'll elect uh, five men to serve a three-year term on our, our deacon council from a list. You'll pick five from a list. And uh, then you'll be, have the opportunity to nominate two new deacons. Um, that'll be from your own thought and observation. You may need to go this week to 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for deacons, and read those again. You'll need to spend some time in prayer on this this week. So I'm asking you to set aside this week 15 to 30 minutes to invest in our church in this important process of this deacon election and nomination so that next Sunday you'll be ready in our worship service to be led by the Spirit and God can speak through our congregation. Thank you for doing that. 
Now, you know that um, prices are rising for everything, right? Inflation, prices are going up. But at the same time that prices for goods are going up, they are downsizing the size of the products that we have. So that they, they, maybe yeah, they can raise prices 10%, but don't think they can get by with 20%, so they raise prices 10 and decrease the amount of product that you're getting by about 10%. I'll give you some examples, all of these within the last two years. Wheat thins, you used to get a 16-ounce box, now they have downsized it to a 14-ounce box. That's 28 fewer wheat thins. <laughs> I want my wheat thins back. Cotton L Mega Roll toilet paper it used to have 340 sheets. This year they've downsized it to 312 sheets. That could be critical at some points, right? <laughs> You're getting less of that product. Uh, hefty bags used to be 90, now there's 80 in a bag. Dominoes used to give you 10 wings in an order, now they give you 8. Burger King used to give you 10 chicken nuggets in a order, now just in the last two years they only give you 8. Tillamook ice cream went from 56 ounce carton to a 48 ounce carton. Gatorade went from 32 to 28 ounces. Bounty paper towels, there used to be 165 on a roll, now there's only 147 sheets. Why am I telling you this? Because this same kind of downsizing, I think, also happens in our understanding and our culture of Jesus. We're downsizing Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, but now in our pluralistic culture, we think, well, there are, there are other ways to heaven. And we've sort of downsized Jesus. We say, Jesus says, I'm the truth. But relativism tells us, postmodernism says, well, that's your truth, but it might not be my truth. Everybody has to find their own truth. And we minimize, we shrink, we downsize Jesus. This was happening also in biblical times in the church at Colossae. And today we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. Paul had never been to Colossae. He did not found the church there, but he had with him a former member, Epaphras, and he had learned from him that at Colossae there was some kind of false teaching going on that was minimizing Jesus, shrinking Jesus, downsizing Jesus. We don't know exactly what this controversy was because we only read about it in Colossians. It's sort of like listening to one side of a telephone conversation and you don't know what the other side is. You ever do that? And you hear somebody on the phone say, she didn't say that. What? What'd she say? What'd she say? What'd you tell me? What'd she say? You know, you've ever done that? Well, reading Colossians is like one side of that. Paul is answering a heresy. We don't know exactly what the heresy was, but they may have been worshiping angels. They were downsizing Jesus. And Paul writes the book of Colossians. And the theme of it is the preeminence of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the greatness, the superlative of Jesus. And so today, in a downsizing culture, I want us to just recover something of the greatness of Jesus. And I want to share with you seven amazing things we believe about the greatness 
of Jesus. They come from Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me there. And here we go. We're starting right in. Number one, the first great thing that we believe about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to see God, look at Jesus, because he's the mirror image of Jesus, and you won't find God, you won't find a better reflection of God anywhere else. Here's what happens. Let me speak to young people for a moment. What happens is, you see, if you grow up in Manchester, every house of worship in Manchester is going to point you to Jesus, almost, almost without exception. Almost every house of worship in Manchester is going to point you to Jesus as the way to find God. But you move away and go to college or move to a city, and there's a lot of Hindus in Nashville. There'll be Buddhist temples. There'll be, there'll be Islam places of worship, Muslim places of worship, and you hear other views about Jesus, and, and you think, well, Jesus gets downsized in your view a little bit, and you begin to think maybe there are other ways to God, and you don't hardly have as great a vision of Jesus. And I want to proclaim to you today that what the Bible tells us is there's no other image of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God's invisible. You can't see him, but God sent his son Jesus to come visibly up on earth to reveal himself for to us, and Jesus is God. And it may be, kids, that the familiar breeds contempt, and you find something exotic, and you think that's better. Ooh, I'd never heard some of this New Age teaching before, and some of this stuff. And there's a little bit of that, of that tantalizing view of the exotic and the new. Listen, just because you've known this all of your life, do not doubt that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Here's the second amazing thing we believe about Jesus. Jesus created all things. He created all things. It says in the second part of verse 15, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now that word firstborn can be a little confusing to us because some people can read it and the cults will interpret it to mean that he was the first thing that God was created. We think of firstborn, that's your oldest kid, that's the one you had first. Well, there was a time when Jesus wasn't and he was born, right? No, that's not what this means. Certainly the word firstborn can mean an eldest child, the firstborn. Mary brought forth her birth firstborn son, but it's not what it means here. He's the firstborn not of creation, but the firstborn over creation. He is never created. He's always been here. He's the one who created. You see, this word firstborn can mean not only uh, one who was born first, but one who has the rank of firstborn. Let me just go to a verse in Psalm to show you this other meaning in case somebody from a Jehovah Witness or another cult tries to tell you that Jesus is the first one created because of this verse. And I'll show you that, that God in the Bible in Psalm 89 verse 27 says this of David, I will appoint David to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Well, now, David wasn't his oldest child. What does he mean? He's saying he has the rank and the privilege of the firstborn. So that's another way this word was used in Scripture to mean not coming into being, but one who has the status of the firstborn. And so this verse is saying, back to Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is in that status or rank. He's the firstborn over all creation. He made everything. It goes on to make that very clear in verse 16. For in him all things were created. So he's the origin of everything. In Jesus, all things were created. Three prepositions here, in, through, and by. Look at them. In him, all things were created. 
things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. So it says that Jesus created all things. He created all things visible, every tree, every rock, every bird, every butterfly, every insect. Jesus created it, all things visible, and he created all things invisible. So there are things that are real that are invisible, specifically here talking about angelic creations, spirit beings, and Jesus made them. You see at Colossae, if you read the whole letter, it seems like, in listening to one side of this telephone conversation, that some of them had come to elevate other beings. Jesus is one among many, and they were worshiping angels. And they were enamored with all of these ranks of angels. These phrases here, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, are scriptural words, you see them in other contexts, that refer to different types or ranks of angels and demons. We don't know much about that, but apparently God made a great variety of angels. And that would make sense because God made a great variety of birds, a great variety of mushrooms, a great variety of insects. God just loves variety. And so God created invisible powers, rulers, thrones, and authorities. Well, they were worshiping some of these or, or were enamored with them like some people are with other kind of channels to God and spirits. And Paul is saying to them, hey, all this other stuff that you're so enamored with, Jesus made it. Why would you worship what he made when he is the maker? All things were created in him, and he made all of the angels. He's greater than all of them. And it says not only did all things made in him, they were made through him. Nothing came into being except through the word and the action of Jesus Christ. He is the creator. And get this last phrase, and for him. All things were created for him. Everything belongs to Jesus, and everything is going to give Jesus glory. Every throne and authority and power and dominion and every rock and tree and human knee is going to bow. Everything's going to give God Jesus glory because all things were made in him and through him and for him. He's before them. He'll be after them. He's the origin of creation, and he's the goal of creation. Isn't that amazing? Take your third Amazing thing about Jesus, Jesus is holding all things together. He's holding all things together. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he didn't just make everything in the past. He is still very active in the universe today. Jesus is the one keeping the planets in orbit around the sun, keeping the stars in the sky, keeping the earth rotating so that we have normal temperatures every 24 hours. Jesus is holding all things together. Now, if you ask a physicist what holds all things together, and I'm no physicist, I'm really in, out of my league talking about this, uh, but I'll try anyway. Uh, if you ask a physicist what holds all things together, they say on the macro level in the universe, it is gravity that holds our universe together. And yet, physicists say that there is not enough matter in our universe to account for all the gravity that is there, and so they postulate that there's something called dark 
matter that is exerting gravity, some reality, some substance that we can't see, can't yet measure, but we're able, astronomers can see the effects of it, so they have said there must be some dark matter. So scientists are saying there's something invisible but real that we can't see yet, but we think it's there, and it's holding all things together. What about that? Now, I'm not saying dark matter is Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a force behind dark matter, behind gravity, and behind whatever else they discover that is holding all things together, and his name is Jesus. And, but it doesn't, isn't it make it a little bit more believable to understand that scientists say there's not enough to account for the gravity, not enough matter to account for the gravity we've seen in our universe. There's got to be some dark matter that we cannot see. And we've said all along, Jesus is holding all things together. Well, the fourth amazing thing that we believe about Jesus and his greatness and his superiority is Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, this means Jesus is the origin of the church, he's the leader of the church, and he's connected to the church, right? Your head's connected to your body, right? You like it that way, don't you? Don't you like it that way? So, Jesus is vitally connected to the church. Now, let me tell you one way we minimize Jesus, one way we downsize Jesus, like the wheat thins and the toilet paper. Here's how we downsize Jesus. We say in our culture, people say, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you go to church? No. I don't like the church. I don't believe much in church. And we're separating in our culture a belief in Jesus from active participation in a local body. Because, oh, it's an institution. All institutions are corrupt. It's whatever. And we're just separating that, right? That happens a lot now. You believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't like church. But what can't you see that this passage is telling us when you diminish the church, you're just diminishing the body of Jesus, Girls, it's like this. If your girlfriend is getting ready for the prom and she does all of her makeup and fixes her face and gets a new dress and she asks you, how do I look? And you say, your face looks great. Your body looks terrible. She's not going to be that excited about being your friend, right? It's a package deal, isn't it? It's a package deal with Jesus and the church. When you say, I love Jesus, believe in Jesus, you go to church, no, I don't like church. He is the head of the body, the church, and we diminish him when we diminish his body. Fifth amazing thing we believe about Jesus is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Here's that phrase again. Many Bible interpreters believe that this is an ancient creed that Paul is using in their two verses to it, two stanzas marked by this word firstborn. He's the firstborn over creation. Now he's going to be the firstborn over redemption. Here the word firstborn does seem to mean first in time. He is, it says, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. It says, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's the key word in the book of Colossians. That's what it's about. The supremacy, the preeminence, the greatness of Jesus Christ. So that he might be first in all things, the New American Bible, St Standard Bible says. And so Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. 
Nobody else had ever done that before. Oh, other people had been resuscitated like Lazarus, but they died again. Jesus was the only one to come back from the dead, never to die again, live alive forever right now. He's the firstborn from the dead, that he might be first in all things, that he might have preeminence. So, when you're choosing a faith, a religion, why don't you choose one whose founder came back from the dead? Because the other religions don't claim that. Muslims do not claim that Muhammad rose from the dead. Buddhists don't believe Buddha rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. If you're going to follow a religion, why don't you follow one whose leader is still alive today? He's the only one who's risen from the dead. Is that in all things he might have supremacy. He's alive. Wow. Sixth thing, amazing thing we believe about Jesus from this passage. All God's fullness dwells in Jesus. All God's fullness dwells in Jesus. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You won't find fulfillment anywhere else than in Jesus because all God's fullness dwells, lives, resides in him. It seems like fullness might have been a key word to these Colossians. We see it again in this letter. It seems like they might have been trying to find fulfillment, fullness, a full experience of God in some esoteric, exotic kind of experience with angels and some mysticism they were adding some stuff in. It seems like they were saying, oh, we could, we could add to Jesus a little bit, go a little bit deeper into the ways of God, learn some secret knowledge. That, that's, that's what we think they were doing. And Paul says, oh, all God's fullness dwells in him. Let me show you a couple of verses from chapter 2. You get that context. Colossians 2, 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. See how he says it again? And then he says, verse 10, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. In other words, you're not going to find fullness anywhere else. You're going to find the fullness. What you're searching for in life, you'll find it in Jesus. And you're not going to find a fuller, richer, more meaningful, deeper life than you find in Jesus because he was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And finally, verse uh, number seven, amazing thing we believe about Jesus. Through Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. Through Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself Verse 21, verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the central event of history, we believe, is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And through that central event, he is reconciling all things to himself, things on earth, that's people, that's creation, that's broken. We got tornadoes, we got things that are all messed up, and he's going to fix it. Our world is broken by the curse of sin. We have rebelled against God, and our world has been pulled down with us. But God, through the cross, is working his plan to bring all things to reconcile with him. It says things on earth and things in heaven. So we're talking about these spiritual beings now, those dominions and powers and all of that. He's going to reconcile them to himself. Now, 
does this mean, some people take this verse to mean that think there's universalism, that everybody's going to be in heaven, that everybody's going to be saved because he's going to reconcile to himself all things. Does that mean then that God is eventually going to save everybody? No, that's not what this means because those powers in heaven, he's not, the devil's not going to be saved. The demons are not going to be saved. It doesn't mean when it says things in heaven, making peace with them, the peace that he'll make is victory over them. We see that clearly in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So it doesn't mean demons are going to be saved when he says he's going to reconcile all things in heaven and earth to himself. It means that all things are going to be put back in order and he's going to win victory over the devil, victory over demons. He's going to break the curse that our world is under and where all of the disease and, and the plagues and the pandemics and all the things that happen. He's going to fix that. Fix is a great southern word. If you are, uh, if you are from an area other than the south, and there are many of you who have moved here, and we're so glad you're here. Let me give you a lesson in southern culture. We love the word fix. We, use the, we love it so much that we use it when you don't need to use it. We just throw it in. I'm fixing to go to the store. Have you heard anybody from the south say that? You don't need to say that. You're just going to the store. But we just like to say, I'm fixing to get a haircut. I'm fixing to, you know, we're just, we're just fixing to do stuff all the time. We even call food fixings. Get some, we get catfish in the fixings. We just love the word fix. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Jesus is fixing everything. Jesus is fixing to fix everything. <laughs> he is. I don't know when it's going to be. But Jesus is fixing to fix everything. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. And this world is going to be right again. And it's going to be through the cross where he died for us and shed his blood. He's fixing everything. And that includes you and me. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So... You disobeyed God, you're alienated, and you're the enemy of God in your mind. You need fixing. But now, verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Three terms. There were three terms about your lostness. You were alienated from God, enemies in your mind, evil behavior, and now you are holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if, verse 23, you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he can fix you and he can present you holy in the sight of God and he is fixing to fix all things and it will be through the cross of Jesus Christ that he reconciles all things to himself. You hold out, you hold on, you hold, it says in this verse, continue in your faith established and firm. Don't lose heart. Don't lose patience. Jesus is fixing to fix everything. I want to close by reading you a testimony. This testimony is of a woman, young woman, named Tina Kolniak. I'm just going to read part of it to you. As a child, I was fascinated by the unknown. Staring up at the stars, I would think about everything beyond our ordinary perception, space travel, 
alternate realities, aliens, astrology, Egyptology, all things science fiction. I was drawn to anything exotic and esoteric. I, I was exposed to Christianity as a child, but I didn't heed its message. I was drawn to other world faiths, never questioning them as harshly as I questioned Christianity. Think about that. I bought my first deck of oracle cards. I relied on them for answers, entertainment, comfort, mistakenly believing the universe was guiding me. I became progressively immersed in the new age, engaging in practices like divination, mediation, affirmations, visualization, crystal and energy healing, chakra clearings. I saw these practices as the best route to self-improvement and enlightenment. All the while, I told myself that nothing I was learning or doing could be evil because it was all about love and light. New Age spirituality feeds your ego by teaching that you, there is no right, no wrong, no objective truth, just a landscape of experiences that your soul goes through. It gives you false idols to worship starting with yourself and teaching that you're always perfect where you are. It teaches you to rely on spiritual experiences rather than rationality. In 2013, as New Age thinking held me firmly in its grasp, tragedy struck when my twin daughters died after I went into preterm labor. I delivered them on two separate days, holding each daughter in my arms as they took their final breaths. I'd always been obstinate and resilient, but this experience broke me. I sought relief in New Age practices, but I also began to pray and to call out for God for help. And a few weeks after that event, I had an episode of sleep paralysis, and at some point in the night, I awoke with a sudden awareness that I could neither move nor speak. My husband was lying next to me, but I could not communicate with him. Waves of fear pressed down, a palpable spiritual fear. I knew in those moments I had walked a dangerous path, putting my soul at risk. I tried casting the, the fear aside with my positive thinking techniques, but nothing worked. And then I called out to Jesus, and everything stopped. I could move again. I breathed in and heavily, out heavily. I was safe. As the agony dissipated, I knew Jesus was real. I knew the Bible was real. I knew Jesus had rescued me from spiritual warfare. The relief was indescribable. I felt gratitude and awe for Jesus. That night changed me forever. Over the next three years, I went through turmoil as God worked on my heart. It took me a long time to truly understand the gospel. I made mistakes, mixing new age ideas with biblical truth. My intention is to walk with God unshakably. Find the redemption that comes through Jesus alone. Our society has downsized Jesus. And we need to recover in the gospel the amazing truth. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation all things were created in him and through him and for him he holds all things together he is the head of the church he is the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have supremacy and through Jesus God is reconciling all things to himself things visible and invisible and you were alienated from God enemies of God in your mind because of your evil behavior but through the cross of Jesus Christ, he has made you holy and blameless and without blemish if you continue steadfast in your faith. Would you bow with me in prayer? Maybe there's someone right now who has gotten off track and wants to come back to Jesus. Would you cry out, Jesus? Maybe there's a person who's not a Christian and you, you, you 
believe this gospel that Jesus is the only one risen from the dead. You've tried other ways to fix yourself, but if you don't fix your God problem, you're never going to be fixed. Would you cry out, Jesus, fix me? Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, help me. Would you, as a believer, just lift up in your mind and heart right now the most precious name in the world, the one true Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If today you want to come and confess your faith as a follower of Jesus, walk down one of these aisles. If you want to come for baptism next Sunday, walk down an aisle and meet me here. Today, if you want to join our church, you want to come and pray. Today, if you're in a mess and you need somebody to fix you, Jesus can fix you. Would you come to him? Let's sing.
couple things before we go. You can have a seat. Yeah, thank you. So I want to remind you, uh, as we, you can drop your tithes and offerings on the boxes there on your exit. And I uh, also want to encourage you to be a part of a connection group in this next hour. If you need some help finding that, uh, where to go, you can go to the Welcome Center and they'll direct you to a, a group. And I want to encourage you to do that. And tonight, uh, we have VBS night celebrating all that the kids have done uh, this week. And in the form of a a musical and presentation, and uh, there's some notes here in the, the worship guide about when uh, different kids should arrive to be uh, to get prepared for that, and then we'll have uh, some time of fellowship in the gym afterwards, so if you can make that, great. Uh, we should celebrate all that God's doing and uh, give Him glory for a great week of VBS and excited about the good things that are coming up this week in ministry opportunities. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for uh, Jesus. And God, I pray that um, that our understanding of who you are would be magnified and that you would be magnified in the world, that you would uh, people would understand who you are, uh, that, that through the, the love that we show and the ministry that we engage in, God, I just pray that we would just share that love with people, opportunities we have, again, praying for the, uh, the ministry endeavors going on this, this week. So um, God, just help us be a part of that in our spaces, in our world. Uh, where we may be, that you would be magnified. We thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.